This evening, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2. We're going to read verses 42 through 47 this evening. The word of the Lord by Luke. And they, that is, all of the crowd that was there to hear Peter preach, and they all devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were to gather and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all of the the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So far the hearing of God's word. The book of Acts is a book that is all about the kingdom of God. I wonder if you're used to seeing the book of Acts in this way. Just look back with me at Acts 1. Very interesting the way that Luke records these events as the book began. Look at Acts 1, beginning in verse 3. The Lord has been raised from the dead, and he presented himself alive to the disciples by many signs appearing to them for 40 days and speaking to them. About what? Speaking to them about, says Luke, the kingdom of God. And while they were there, he charged them not to depart, but to wait for the promised spirit that he was going to pour out and to baptize the church with not many days from now. So we go on in uh, Acts 1 and in verse 6. And as they were gathered, they said to the Lord, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What were they thinking? What were they trying to ask him about? Lord, is this the time? You have been raised from the dead. We now see you with your eyes. We never thought that things like this would occur. And yet they have. Is now going to be the time that you are going to overthrow the world powers that be? And now the kingdom is going to be restored to is 
Israel? Are we going to go back in time where the temple is going to be rebuilt and restored to its former glory, where the church will reign as the supreme power in the world? Are you going to do that now? They asked him. Jesus responded to his disciples and he didn't challenge them in verse 7 about the king about the kingdom or what shape or what way it would come in but he challenged them about the time he said it is not yours to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own Authority, And then he goes on in verse 8 and says, But you will receive power when the Spirit has come upon you. And what will occur? The Spirit will be baptized upon you, and you will witness to me, begin, beginning here in this place, and then in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Isn't that amazing? Jesus said, yes, a kingdom is going to come, but it's not going to come in the way that you think. And it's not going to come in the time that you think. It's not going to be what you're expecting at all. The kingdom is going to come not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And it's going to come upon the church. And the effect that the spirit of God is going to, is going to have is going to be to extend the borders of this kingdom inch by inch, town by town, as people hear the word of the gospel. This is, this is the promise that was foretold in Joel chapter 2. In the last days, my spirit will be poured out on all flesh and old men will prophesy. Young men will dream dreams. These men carried by the spirit will see things revealed of the Lord. But as the word of God is going to come, and as people are going to come to save to saving faith and this kingdom is going to extend out, it will fulfill the great commission. Do you recall what the Lord said as it was recorded in, math, in Matthew's gospel there at the end? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. What does it mean for us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come? What does it mean? Of course, we're speaking to the Father, and as we say to him, Father, send your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? And tonight I have two answers to uh, what this 
request in the Lord's Prayer means. And the first thing that it means is this, church, we have a king. How used uh, are you to thinking of yourself as being someone who is ruled by a king? Don't we turn on the news and we see that kings and queens belong to a faraway place and some of us might like the uh, pomp and the a pageantry that follows queens and kings. And uh, we might just think that uh, we sort of miss out on something here in the States when we don't have palaces and thrones and, well, I'll leave that there. Are you used to thinking of yourself as one who is ruled by a king? God tells us, all throughout his word, that he is the king of all of the earth. He is the one who sits high upon his throne. His throne is a throne of holiness. He is the one who dwells in the high and in the holy place. God is a great king above all gods. He is the king of glory and the Lord of hosts. The Lord who has come to reign, tells us that he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. What comfort is it to you that your savior is a king? What do you think that, uh, what do you think that has in store for your heart? If Christ has come and he has obeyed the law of God, And if he has done this for you, you sinners, we sinners, who have never once in our entire lives perfectly obeyed the law of God in thought, word, and deed. If the Lord Jesus has come and has done this for us and then has gone to our cross, the place where we ought to have gone, the place of God's wrath for his judgment against sin. And if the Holy Son has died in our place upon that cursed tree and was buried for three days in the dead, and then on the third day rose triumphantly again from death for you, for me, rising to newness of life with healing in his hands for us. What comfort is it to us that he has ascended to the right hand where he sits upon the throne as our king, where he rules and he reigns upon a throne that cannot be shaken? where he rules all of the affairs in our life and in the entire world and all of the affairs of the entire cosmos. What comfort is it for you that he is our king? My friend, it means that there is nothing in your life that is outside of the complete control of this one who has loved you so much that he came and obeyed and bled and suffered and died for you and showed you how much he loved you with the extent of his life. 
What comfort is it to you that this one who rose from the dead now sits at that right hand? That all power and all authority belongs in him. And he orders all affairs in the entire world for your good. You who have suffering and pain in your life. You who have things in your life that you can't control and that you can't change. Thorns in your flesh. Torments in your heart. Griefs that you bear and that you mourn. What comfort is it to you, O church, that this king who has all power and authority has shown his unfailing love for you? It means that the power of Christ is joined with the love of Christ and all of it is one promised Jesus for you. This is your king. This is the one who rules and reigns for you. This is the king who has pledged his heart to you with all of his life. You see, that you belong to this king, that he is yours, and that you are his is a sign of the gospel. You didn't do a thing in order to become his. You didn't vote the right way or do enough good deeds that you could suddenly uh, win yourself into his kingdom. No, he has come to you by name. He has set his name upon your heart. He has called you to himself and he has made you his own. So you see, you who were once afar off, you who were once separated, you who were once aliens, strangers, who did not belong, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, this is the gospel that you are a daughter or a son. You are a child of the king. He is yours. There is nothing that you can do to shake him loose from you. But now, because you belong to him, comes this third use of the law. What do we mean by the third use of the law? We mean that use of the law that no longer comes with the threatening judgment of hell. But this use of the law that comes and says, now because you belong to Christ, this is the way that you ought to live. This is the way that your heavenly father wants you to live in a way that will please him. And so, since we belong to this king, we pray that he would rule us by his word and with his spirit all of our life. Eh, perhaps your mind goes to Psalm 119 like my mind does. Psalm 119 is, of course, the uh, 
longest of all of these psalms, and it is to this theme. Father, I want to live by your word. I want to take every single step of my life according to your word. Father, would you direct my steps according to your word so that I might please you? But the way that Psalm 119 does this is of a servant to a king. It is a psalm of the king, a psalm of the servants who long to serve their king and long to please him with all that they do. So the question in verse 9 is, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your law. So with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not stray from your commandments, O Lord. I have stored up your word within my heart that I might not sin against you. That, in long form, is what we pray every time we begin the Lord's Prayer and we say, Thy kingdom come. What we ask is not that God would be our king, for he is, but that God would rule us in such a way that he would bow our hearts before him and bend our wills towards him and incline our hearts to submit in all of our ways to the will of our God. There's one way for a king to rule subjects that have stiff necks against him, and that is to break them. But you see, our father comes, and in his kindness, what he does by the work of his spirit is to woo our hearts, to soften our wills, to incline us, to submit with all of the warmth of our heart to his rule. Church, do you pray that way? Do you say, Father, I have places in in my heart that are against you, places in my life that run against your revealed will in your word. Father, would you change me? Would you show your rule within my life? Would you submit all that I am and make me wholeheartedly, joyfully glad to run in the way of your commandments? Well, the second thing that this first plea of the Lord's Prayer means is not just that we have a king, but if we belong to this king, then secondly, We belong to a kingdom. You have a place. You have a place where you belong. And it is not in 20815 or 20816 or whatever zip code you may live in. The place where we belong is not D.C. or whatever state you find your home in. Um, that is of this world, you see. But the 
Christian has a place where he and she belongs, and it extends beyond this globe. It is not a piece of terra firma here. It is a place that is beyond where our eyes can see. Remember, in John 18, as the Lord is uh, dragged on the night in which he was betrayed before, before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate asks him, um, are you the king of the Jews? All of your people are saying that you are a king, but you don't really look like a king. Uh, and if you were a king, why would you be here standing in front of me? Pilate says, are you a king of the Jews? Jesus responded to him and said, uh, you have said so. Then he went on and he said, my kingdom isn't of this world. It belongs to some other place. You, Pilate, are a form of a king. You are one who has a authority here in this place. So you're going to do what you need to do. But my kingdom is beyond this place. The kingdom of God comes in God's word by all sorts of names. It is called the kingdom of heaven. It is called the kingdom of God. It is called the kingdom of light, as Dave said to us just a few moments ago. And it is compared in all sorts of ways. It is compared to a, a field in which the Lord sows seed. And as that seed grows up, with the good seed grow up tares. It's also compared to a tiny seed, the smallest of all seeds that grows up into a large tree. The kingdom of God is compared to a pearl of great price and, and to a field that has within that field a great wealth. The kingdom of God is compared to a dragnet that is thrown into the sea and it pulls up all sorts of fish that will then be separated each according to their kind. What does the Lord teach us as he compares the kingdom of God in all of these ways? He says, what I'm trying to describe for you is the church. The picture that I'm trying to paint for you is that my kingdom is not a kingdom now that has physical borders. My kingdom now is not a polis that resides in this age. My kingdom is people, and it is people that are unlike all of the rest. As the gospel goes forth, Acts 2, all sorts of people respond to it, and they flood into the church. And so the kingdom of God is to be pictured as the church in which there is good seed that grows up, and there is also chaff that grows up with the good seed. It is a great net in, in which there are all kinds of fish that on the last day, the Lord himself is going to separate kind from kind. This is what the church 
is. And this is why in Acts 2, we see the signs of the kingdom of God now at work. As the Spirit has been poured out upon the church, as the church has been baptized in this Spirit, now we see the marks of the church at work. We see the Word of God that is being, that is being preached. We see fellowship of the saints. That is, all of the church is physically in the same place, bodily. And they are praying prayers, and they are breaking bread. These are to be understood as the sacraments of the church. And as prayer is joined with it, and the word of God is being preached, these are the means of grace, or we could say the marks of the church. Where the word of God is preached, where prayers are prayed, and where the sacraments are being served, that is a church. We could say it like this, where there are marks of the kingdom of God, we know that the king is there. When the word of God is being preached, when the sacraments are being served, there we know that the king who is high upon his throne has come by his spirit and is present with his church mightily at work in the ways that he has appointed to be present with the church, performing his signs amongst us. But you see, the kingdom of, of God now in our age is not a kingdom of power. It is a kingdom of grace. It is a kingdom in this age that is marked by the suffering of the cross, by the presence of sin that still resides within our hearts. It is a kingdom that is pl plagued by the presence of suffering in all of our lives, and yet it is extended by the preaching of the gospel. What do we mean when we pray this first request in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, what we are praying is that the Lord would grow his church that the Lord would send the gospel out and that souls would come to saving faith. What we mean when we pray, thy kingdom come, is that all of these chairs in this room would be filled. Bodies and souls would come and sit in these seats, not for the sake of fourth church, but for the sake of the kingdom of God that their lives would be transformed, that their hearts would be changed, that they would come to know Jesus Christ. That's what we're praying. In the words of the great hymn, O Lord, I love to see thy churches full, that all the chosen race would with one heart and soul sing thy redeeming grace. Church, is that your prayer? Do you long to see this place full and all true churches of Christ filled to the brim? Because that would mean that lost souls are coming home. They're coming to salvation in Christ. 
Paul has a tremendous way of speaking about this as he writes to the the church in Rome. In chapter 6, he says that um, formerly when we did not know Christ, we lived beneath the reign of sin and we were slaves to sin. But now that we have come to Christ, we have been set free from the reign of sin and we might expect Paul to say that we've been set free unto ourselves. But that's not what he says. He says, you who were once slaves to sin have now become slaves to God, servants of God, to obey him, to, fo- to, fo- to follow him. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. And friends, if we belong to the kingdom of grace, that means that when we pray thy kingdom come, it also means, Jesus, won't you come back? I, I know you, and I long to be with you face to face. I love you with all of my heart, and I can't wait to be removed from this valley of the shadow of death. To pray thy kingdom come is a prayer of faith because it means that we know that the kingdom of grace is one day going to become the kingdom of glory and all of the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And on that last day, the kingdom of God will be full. It will be perfect. There will be no more pain, no more sin, and no more presence of anything that is against the Lord. But Christ will be all and will be in all. The very last chapter of God's word concludes in this way. The spirit and the bride say, come. Who is that bride? It is the church. When we say, thy kingdom come, we say, Jesus, we beg you to come back. Won't you come back soon? Would you even come back today? Do you know what he says back to his church? Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the perfection of your word. We thank you that it reveals you and that it trains us to live in closeness with our Lord and Savior. So, Father, tonight, pray for all of us and ask that we would know within our heart of hearts the closeness of our Lord with us, that he would help us, that he would teach us how to pray from the depths of our souls, that he would teach us how to cry out and even to long to see him 
face to face. Oh, Father, we long for that day. Would you help us to long for it even more? It's in his name that we ask you. Amen.